My name is Aslan Bouton. I am one of the preaching pastors we have on rotation here at Northwest Church. And we preach in monthly themes. Oh, we preach in monthly themes. And so I actually have the last week of bringing the gospel home. And we've been talking about, as Pastor Peter shared already, about how to bring the gospel message home to our families and neighbors and friends through evangelism and various ways and making sure our heart is right in knowing that God's heart is to win the lost, that every person would uh, give their lives to him. And so as I was thinking about winning the lost and bringing the gospel home and what that means, because it's more than just evangelism. It, it's about being the hands and feet of Jesus in every situation. So yes, we want to see people saved, but we also want to mentor and disciple people to grow in their faith and be the hands and feet in, in our world. And so as I was thinking personally about where I've seen the most fruit in my life in bringing the gospel home, the times I've had the privileges to say the sinner's prayer with the person and be there in that moment when they give their life to Christ, or, or the times that I've gotten to mentor a new Christian into the faith to, to, over the years to become solid believers who are now winning other people and leading other people to Christ. And I realized that 95% of the time that I personally have seen fruit in winning people to Christ, in growing people in Christ. It's been through one directive that the Bible gives, one specific way, and that is through hospitality. That is how I have seen the most fruit, for me personally, in winning people to the Lord, in bringing the gospel home. And hospitality, when you hear that word, it, it might bring different images into your mind. So you might think of a more traditional gender role, 1950s-ish vibe, you know, where women have more of the hospitality role. Maybe they're making the house look nice and cooking nice meals. And maybe you think of a southerner, you know, that's just so friendly and just says, hey, come on in and get some sweet tea. You know, if people have different ideas of hospitality, maybe you uh, got, or think, think of the degree of hospitality uh, and went to college for that. And so that's like hotel and restaurant management and event planning. Or maybe you think of a team of hospitality that comes in on events and, and helps serves and provides the food and cleans up. All of those things, I'm not referencing any of those things today necessarily. What we're looking at today is biblical hospitality, radical hospitality, the kind of hospitality that causes you to have to rearrange your life to make space for other people. And I've seen that this is the mode that God uses over and over and over again to bring the gospel to people. So that's what we're going to take a look at. And biblical hospitality is something that every Christian is instructed to practice. So it's not more for the females than the males. It's not more for the old because they have more money instead of the young. Every believer, no matter where you are, who you are, has this directive from the Bible to practice hospitality. So let's look at some scriptures that tell us this. Romans 12, 12 through 13. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's check out 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9. Above all, hold unfailingly, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Practice hospitality ungrudgingly. I like how this one throws that in there. It's not like, uh, fine. 
Practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. So here we have two verses already. It says practice it, which means pursue it. So here's our directive. We are to practice it. We are to pursue it. We are to make space for it. So right off the bat, I want to be clear that biblical hospitality is not the gift or the art of being able to decorate your house well. That's not what biblical hospitality is. It's not being able to throw a party with candlelight and all your fall decor out. I love all those things. Those things are not bad. Those are fun things. But that's not what I'm referencing when we talk about biblical hospitality. I'm gonna give you my definition of what biblical hospitality is right now, off the bat. I'm gonna give it to you in a simple statement. And then the rest of the sermon, I'm gonna do my best to explain why it's so difficult for us to do what biblical hospitality is. Biblical, oh, shoot. <laughs> Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Okay, okay, we'll look at more scripture first. All right. Uh, okay, so is this something that we are only supposed to do within the church? Because those first two verses we're referencing within the church. No, let's look at some more verses before I give you the definition of biblical hospitality. Ah, off to a good start. Joke 31. But no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Hebrews 1 to 2, 13, 1 to 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And so we see that this mandate is for within the church or out, and also outside the church. And so biblical hospitality says, you're important, your life matters to me. This is the essence of what biblical hospitality is. So anything and everything we can think of to do that sends this message to the people in our lives is biblical hospitality. And there's many ways this can play out in your life. But this is the message that we are called to pursue and to practice and to make space for in our life. And according to that last verse, <clears throat> It's easy to neglect, apparently. It says, do not neglect it. Don't neglect to show hospitality. So we're, we're gonna spend the rest of this time looking at why do we neglect hospitality, biblical hospitality? Why is it so easy to do? So I'm gonna give you six things, and we're gonna get through them all. Some I'll spend more time on than others. But let's get through six reasons I think we neglect biblical hospitality, which is one of the most powerful ways we can bring the gospel home to people around us. Number one, we misunderstand it. We misunderstand what it is. We think of entertaining instead of knowing what hospitality means. And so if I'm entertaining someone, then I may be providing a three-course meal and a show, and I'm sending you home with a goodie bag, and I'm making sure the atmosphere is perfect, and that I've provided everything that's needed. Hospitality is simply about opening your life to people. Opening your life and saying, you are welcome, come on in. 
And I'm going to share my life with you. I'm going to share space with you because you are that important. Pinterest, if you know what that is, I love Pinterest. It's going to feel like I'm, I'm dogging Pinterest today. I'm not. But Pinterest and the internet put this pressure on to have every moment, anytime you have someone to your house or to your dorm, there's this pressure for it to be perfect, to, for it to be Instagram worthy. And if I don't have my house looking perfect or the perfect meal, then it's just like, ah, I feel intimidated to do it. When we entertain, there's pressure to throw this perfect party or this perfect night. Hospitality is not a perfect party. It's not entertaining. It's saying, I'm opening my life to you. Come on in and be part of my family. It's a long game. You're not trying to give them the perfect experience. You're trying to invite them into real life, into something real, into a relationship with you. And in real life, there's nights where you open a bag of salad and open a can of black beans for protein, and that's what you eat for dinner. That's real life sometimes, right? So we're not trying to create these perfect moments. People you're bringing the gospel home to shouldn't feel like they're a guest you're performing for. A life's a biblical hospitality quickly turns formal into family. And that's the feeling and that's the experience you're trying to connect with when you do hospitality to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your unsaved family, to your saved family, to everyone around you. You're making it less about being formal and you're making it more about being that they feel like they're family. Let me give you an example. Our neighbors, our new neighbors, we have our old neighbors. David and Sarah, we love you guys. You'll forever be our original neighbors. But we moved to somewhat recently and have new neighbors now. And so the first time we had our neighbors over for dinner, it's formal, right? It's more formal. I bought food because I uh, am not the best cook. And so it stresses me out too much to think like, oh, I'm going to make a good meal. So I bought food and then put it in nice bowls so it looks like I made it. Because, you know, authenticity is important. So I, you know, it's more formal and you come over and you have a formal meal and you meet each other. But the goal for hospitality is that that quickly moves to feeling like family. And over the months that followed, and especially with COVID, it became a thing where we were going on walks every day, having the kids ride bikes, knowing we would meet together every afternoon. And dinner together went from me buying a meal to make sure it tasted good, to us texting each other throughout the day, Okay, I have noodles and cheese. And she says, okay, I have ground beef. Let's come together in 10 minutes. We'll throw it in a pot and we'll call that dinner. And so the point is to grow to the point where it's like, now this person is family. They're comfortable. You're sharing space together. And so it's not about having to plan something fun or have these incredibly deep conversations planned out. It's about letting people know you're invited into my life because you are special, you're important, I care about you, I care about what's going on in your life. Even if we think different, even if we believe different, even if our politics are different, you matter to me. And so instead of trying to plan these perfect moments, instead, hospitality is opening up your life and saying, you want to come over? I'm just folding towels. I'm cooking dinner, but I would love for you to sit. I'll get you a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. And I want to hear how your mom's cancer treatments are going. Tell me how your kid's doing in school. How's work going? It's about inviting them into your mundane life because you're saying what you're going through matters to me. And I want to hear about it. And I want to pray for you. 
we had a young man um, eat dinner with us one time, come over for dinner. And nothing special was happening. We just ate and then went on with our night. And he said, do you do this every night? And I said, Which, what part? <laughs> what part? And he's like, sit at the table or did you do this just for me? And I said, oh no, you know, if we're home, some nights we're out late and so it's grab and go. But if we're all home, yes, we sit at the table to eat and talk about our day. And he said, I have never sat at the table for dinner before. He said, in my family, we make our plates and we all go to our separate rooms and we watch TV while we eat dinner. And there's no judgment for that if, if that's what your family does. But the point is, bringing someone into the mundane, not something that's all this extra pressure, I got to plan this, just come into our life, this is how we live, it was a moment that was special to him, that changed the way he was thinking. And so if you think hospitality is about entertaining and putting on this Pinterest party, then it's going to feel like too much pressure to do often. It's going to be like, I don't have the energy for that. You know, i got to schedule that, maybe one every six months. It's too, it's too draining when you think it's about entertaining. Versus it's just inviting someone in to see your life and to be a part of your life. I was thinking about how a year or two ago... <clears throat> Alexi, she lives with us, and she had been witnessing to one of her coworkers and witnessing, inviting her to church and saying, come, try out church. And so finally, after months of, of reaching out to this young woman, this young woman comes to church and, and commits her life to Christ. So Alexi brought her home one night, late, just to hang out. And so while David's cleaning up the dishes, putting the food away, loading the dishwasher, and I'm getting Sailor ready for bed, a conversation ensues where she opens up and she's you know, talking about wanting to get baptized but doesn't feel worthy because the things I've done in my life, I don't deserve a second chance. I shouldn't be getting baptized. And so she's crying and sharing as David's doing the dishes and loading the dishwasher. And I'm in and out of the room putting Selah to bed. And that's what biblical hospitality is. It's just finding moments, letting someone come into your life. There doesn't have to be this special aha, but conversations happen in the midst of living around each other and people knowing that you're interested in their life and that moment is still marked in her life as a pivotal night. And it wasn't something special we planned, it was that she knew she was welcome to come over and hey, I gotta clean these dishes, but let's talk while I put these dishes away. And so by inviting people over, you're saying, you're a part of my life now because you're amazing and special and interesting and I want to know what's going on with you. Second reason I think we neglect biblical hospitality is selfishness. And this one stings because who wants to admit they're selfish? But I will. I'll admit that I'm selfish and that there's been many times and many moments where I could have done, I could have reached out in hospitality, given another time, or made space for someone where I didn't because, I, because of me. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. John Piper says, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It is the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life. And the rest will be a life so full of self that there is no room for hospitality. We will forget about it and we will neglect it. And so with that first point I said, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, it takes no effort. No big deal. Just let people in your life. It's, I, I want to be clear. It still takes effort. It's still going to take your resources. It's going to take your money. It's going to take wearing out your furniture quicker. 
I remember having a conversation with Pastor Grace back when we worked, they still work with young people. Uh, we, we work with older people now. But we talked about how, how bad our couches would smell some nights after having teenagers over and they'd be outside playing football and they'd come in and so the next day we'd be like, oh my word, our couch smells like sweat or feet or something. But that's just the reality. When you open your home, yes, there's going to be, it's going to cost you money. Food that you thought would go, the dinner you ate that you're like, oh sweet, I'll take this for lunch tomorrow. No, it's going to get eaten by the extra person that that comes in your house. You know, it's going to take your resources. It's going to take your time. And if we're honest, there's a selfishness in us that's like, no, I want that for me. I want that for me. I want to have time to watch Netflix tonight or play video games or reading or catch up with work because I'm already so behind. And we have to, in those moments, preach to ourselves to conquer selfishness. Preach to yourself the word. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Okay, I'm going to go to my coworker's play that I don't want to go to because I don't care about seeing Tavares' version of Fiddler on the Roof. But it's important to her, and it's what she's interested in. And I want to show that she matters to me. So when I get off work, I'm going to Fiddler on the Roof, out into Varys, because I love her, and I care about her. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so to, for Christians, for people to see how Christians are different, they have to like live with us. We have to share space. Seeing someone once a week on Sunday morning for an hour or just in a work setting, it's very hard to be so different that everyone around you is like, that person's so different. The way you're gonna display that Christianity is different is by living day in and day out with someone and inviting them over and making effort to spend time with them so they can see that we are different. Just waving from my mailbox back into my house How can I do a wave that displays I'm saved and redeemed and you're not? I can't. There's no wave that's going to show that. I got to let them in my space. I've got to be interested in what they're doing to spend time with them. We were talking um, a couple nights ago, David and I, to someone. I don't know who it was. And for some reason, we were trying to think of vacations we had taken. And it was in that moment, I realized David and I have only taken one vacation by ourselves. And that was our honeymoon. That was a good one to choose. That was a good one to be alone for. Can you imagine going with a friend? We're we're still going to be in our room. (laughs) Go check out the pool, right? Okay, so the honeymoon, it was good that we were alone on that vacation. But every vacation we have taken since, we have gone with people. We've largely taken people we've been discipling or mentoring. Sometimes we've gone with friends. Sometimes we've gone with unsaved family members. Because we're trying to show, we're trying to use every opportunity that you're not someone I need a break from. You're someone that's allowed to be in every part of my life and see how I live at every moment. I don't need a vacation from you. I want a vacation from work, but you're so important to me that we're inviting you to come along. Number three, fear. I think fear is a big reason we don't practice biblical hospitality. It can be scary letting messy people into our lives. And I don't mean phys- you know, physically messy, but like their lives are messy. That's scary. It's, it's, it's scary or intimidating to let people in your lives that, that live differently than you, and you're not sure how you're going to explain that to your kids, why their life looks that way. And so we can let fear stop us from inviting people into our lives, unbelievers, people who live different than us, 
because we become fearful that people will confuse acceptance with approval. I see this happen a lot with Christians and we think, well, if, if, I, if I let them in my life, if I like really let them in my life, give them time, they're gonna think because I've accepted them and loved them, they're gonna think that means I'm approving of all this shenanigans going on in their life. And I don't want them to think I approve of that, so I gotta kind of keep people. We don't need to be afraid of that. Jesus did not worry that people would misunderstand his friendship. Jesus dined with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners. He spent time with them, though. He wasn't worried, well, gosh, I don't want to make the woman at the well feel too loved. Then she'll think I approve. No, we, 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 speak, we speak in what we believe in. We're not hiding the fact that we're believers. And when situations come up, we respond in a way a Christian would respond. This is how I view things, or let me pray for you, or this is what Christianity says. We're not hiding the fact that we're Christians, but we don't need to be afraid that if I really love this person, if I really let them in, oh gosh, then they're gonna think I, I approve of the hot mess that is their life. No, Jesus didn't worry about that, and we don't need to either. People need to know they are accepted and loved, period. Because Jesus accepts them and is ready to accept them and loves them and is ready for them to repent and be brought into the family. It's our own sin that will be judged on judgment day, not our neighbor's. It's, it's my sin that's gonna get me in trouble on judgment day if I haven't repented. But we're kind of scared like, oh, I got... We have to invite messy people into our lives. The other thing we can be afraid of is something bad happening. I'd be like, well, Aslan, you know, you must think we live in Mayberry because there are bad people in this world. And you're saying, let these people in our lives, people take advantage, there's dangerous people. I know this. We, we use wisdom, okay? The Bible says to be wise, to use wisdom. We are aware that there are scammers, there's abusers, there are people that will take advantage of you. We're not saying that. I'm not saying just, you know, throw all caution to the wind. But what I am saying is that fear will keep you in your perfect little bubble. And there will be an excuse for everything. Why you should never step out and do something for someone else and practice biblical hospitality. Like, my mind can go crazy. Like, I can't let the neighbor's kids play in the yard. If they hurt themselves, I'll get sued. I mean, like, there's no end to these thoughts of why we want to keep ourselves in this little bubble. Um, an example is that there was a family I had met one time that needed a place to stay. This was last year sometime. They needed a place to stay for a few nights. And I really didn't know them. I had met them one time. They seemed like a lovely family. They were nice, but they had reached out to me and said, hey, can we stay with you for a couple days? And that's the reason we bought the house we did with extra rooms, because we want our house to be a place where we can practice hospitality. But there's a big family and a big family of teenagers, you know, from 16 all the way up into the 20s. So I was like, David, we really don't know them. And I know how trauma works. I know how abuse works and hurt people. You know, can hurt. So it's just like, how do we do this? So we decided that Selah, because we have a six-year-old daughter, and I'm like, you know, letting people we don't really know spend the night with us for a few nights could be seen as dangerous or endangering her. So we decided we'll have her sleep in our room those three nights. And so we went to Selah and we said, Selah, really dangerous people are coming. And now... <laughs> We went to her and said, hey, we have a fun idea. We think it would be fun to let you do a sleepover in mom and dad's room. We're gonna build you a fort, and for three nights, you get to stay in our room. And she was like, what? She thought we were partying, and we were partying. But we were practicing hospitality 
but, but not being foolish. And so I didn't stay up all night worrying. Is someone sneaking in her room? She was in our room, safe. And we were able to bless that family and give them a place to stay. So we use wisdom, but we are willing to disrupt our lives to practice hospitality to others. Four, our personality. I'm just gonna say it real quick and we'll move fast, okay? Real fast, gentle, introverts. There's not, the Bible doesn't say practice hospitality unless you're an introvert or save this job for all the extroverts. And so I just, I say this very gently. I know we are different. Our bodies are made different. Our personalities, Enneagram fives, where are you at? I know this is tough. But God will enable you, and you need to do the work that it takes to be able to have the energy to give to other people. I know many introverts that are very good at practicing hospitality, but they have to do the work to do that. And for some of them, I know personally, it means they get up really early so that they can have alone time. And they spend alone time in the Word and out in nature, and they get filled up in the morning before the day begins so that they have enough to give to people when the day starts. Okay, five, comparison. Boy, comparison is just, it will just steal and suck the joy and the opportunity out of everything. Not just hospitality, every single thing in your life. I think of comparison, if you were up in a spaceship floating in space and someone puts a little pinhole in your spaceship, the air that gets sucked out by just this little tiny thing of comparison. We can't, we can't allow this in our life because there's no end to it. And so how this plays out with hospitality is thinking things like, my house isn't as nice. They probably have other friends. Oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, I saw so-and-so talking to them and they're so much better at it. What do I have to offer? We can't, we can't assume someone else will do it. We can't compare. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Aslan. I've seen your living room. You have a decent-sized living room. You only have one kid. So yeah, you have extra rooms in your house to practice hospitality. But let me tell you, I started with a bedroom in high school. Uh, I'm um, and sharing that space. I made a friend in high school. I don't remember what grade we were, but we got to know each other. I shared the gospel with her. She, she gave her life to Christ. So she came to youth group and church with us. And one day her dad kicked her out of her house because of family issues with the stepmom. And so she had nowhere to go. And so I went to my parents and I said... I got a friend from high school. She didn't have anywhere to live. What do you think about me sharing my room with her? And to their credit, they said yes. They took in this teenager, which meant they were, they were really the ones paying for the food, the electricity, the space. And so I shared, we shared a room together. And what I slept on, I'm going to show you what we slept on. For whatever reason, this phase in high school, I was like, I don't want a bed. Beds are so like, ooh, this is a bedroom. I want like a couch that looks like a lounge, whatever. I had this like Ikea thing that I slept on and it folds out to basically feel like a piece of cardboard. But that's why it only was like a blue purple. Some of y'all remember. And so this is what we slept on together for months until we graduated, and she went off and joined um, one of the armed forces. But we lived together, we shared a car together, giving up space. And when I moved out of that bedroom, we moved into a tiny apartment when Dave and I first got married, tiny little crappy apartment, and I squeezed all the girls in my small group I could in there. And it was a weird part of town. We had a neighbor that would steal our electricity. He 
he would sneak in and plug in an extension cord and think we wouldn't notice and just so he could keep a lamp on. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's let him use a lamp. So we just like didn't see the extension cord. It was a weird place we lived. But I squeezed a bunch of girls in there and we used that place. And then we got our first home and the home was wonderful, but the furniture we filled it with was free mismatched stuff. And it was ugly. And I, for some reason, painted the walls brown. And I had brown couches and brown furniture. Hannah the other day was like, what was up with the brown walls and brown furniture? She said this to me yesterday at work. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. And the, lam- and the countertops were this 80s laminate yellow. And we lived with that furniture, with that decor, for almost, we lived in the house for 10 years, and it was only the last couple of years that we actually were like, we should buy new furniture and paint, because we didn't have the money before that. But you know what? As I think back to that, I think, man, I wouldn't change it. In those 10 years, is where all the people on our team now were, were brought and were saved or were discipled, and they didn't care that our furniture was ugly and that we were poor and couldn't afford to paint They didn't care. And so if you like comparison, think, well, their house is nicer, or I only have this crappy room with this cardboard bed, it will steal every opportunity. And so you may not own a home. You may be in high school. You may be in college. You're like, well, what do I have to give? God will use your car for hospitality. He'll use, when I was in high school, I used, some days I would pack an extra lunch and I would say, God, I want you to point out the person that doesn't have food today. And I'm bringing this lunch for them. Or if you're in college, you could designate $10 a week and say, God, I believe you're going to show me someone at school that needs lunch and I'm going to buy it for them or I'm going to put $10 of gas in their car. God will use everything we have as an opportunity to practice hospitality to the world, to show that we care about them. All right, last one. Busyness. Christianity is a call to die to ourselves. And sometimes that looks like dying to good things too. Things that aren't inherently bad. Things that are fine, that you enjoy. Because if we fill our lives so full of good things that there's no time to actually bring the gospel home, then that's an issue. Then that's something keeping us from actually doing it. And if we just sit and think for a second, I want you to think, have you practiced biblical hospitality to your neighbors or to a coworker in the last week? From last Sunday, was there something you did, giving up time, resources, in the last week? What about the last two weeks? What about the last three weeks? Have you had an opportunity or the time to even do it? And if you haven't, then the the difficult thing to say here is that you're too busy. You're too busy to actually bring the gospel home. Because I'm not asking you right now to be like, just be busier. And you're like, great. She's asking us to burn the candle at both ends. I can can barely keep my head above water now. No, I'm not asking you to burn it at both ends. I'm asking you, is there something you need to give up to make room to bring the gospel home? If there's no room, if there's literally no time in your life to do it, then you're just not going to do it. 
And again, I'm not saying you have to make space for parties every night of the week, but think about your week. How could I, could I invite someone to go around and run errands with me? Some, sometimes it's just about being away from their space, getting in a new environment, having someone to talk to. It's not about what you're doing, but if you don't have time and space to invite someone into that, then busyness is keeping you from practicing that. Don't let your words be stronger than your relationships. Don't let your talk about Christianity be stronger than your actions about Christianity. When we think about the fact that Christianity is a call for sinners to repent, and oftentimes for a sinner to repent, it means leaving their families, because sometimes I've known many people whose families have rejected them for Christianity. Oftentimes it means leaving your job, because maybe you had a job that was unethical that you knew was taking advantage of people but didn't bother you before, but as a Christian it should. Or maybe your job was illegal. Or maybe your job, the environment you worked in is just like, I gotta leave that environment. If I stay here in this environment, I'm gonna stay in my old life. So I've, I've gotta have fresh ties. So it might mean leaving your family. Getting saved might mean leaving your job. It might mean leaving your partner that you're living with, that you're not married to. And so when we go to people and we're basically saying you need to leave all that behind, you need to maybe find a new job, your family might reject you, you've got to break up or stop sleeping with your partner, where are these people going to live? Where are they going to work? Who are they going to do Christmas with if their family has said, we're done with you? The answer is with Christians, with you. With me, they're supposed to be living with me. They're supposed to be living with you. I'm supposed to set out an extra plate for Christmas dinner and invite them in to do holidays with us. I'm supposed to give them the space. I'm supposed to be calling my contacts and saying, hey, will you consider hiring this person? I, I, I'm gonna vouch for them. But if we are not willing to practice biblical hospitality, well, no, you need to get saved. You're not gonna live with me. You need to have faith that God is going to provide something. My faith is that your heart's going to change and you will provide something for these people that are winning. To bring the gospel home is going to cost us something. It should cost us something. It cost Christ everything. He gave up his life. And so sometimes we think like, Okay, well, me, what it, me picking up my cross and dying is having to give up my sexual autonomy or is having to give up this thing. That, that's just what we had to do to be restored back to Christ in relationship. That, that's just us saying, okay, God, I want to be back in right relationship with you. What, are, what is it going to cost us to see other people saved? Because we are to reflect Christ. And he gave up everything to see us restored. There's always hope that one more sinner will repent. And so just, I'm gonna kind of put a pause on that. And as we close, I just wanna close this whole series with a thought, and I hope it's a thought of hope, but that there's always time. There's always, there's always hope, not always time. There's always hope that someone will turn at the last minute and accept Christ. So I don't want you to be discouraged if you think, gosh, I've been praying for my family members for 10 years now, my neighbors for five years. A mark, the mark of a Christian is hope, that we always, always has hope, have hope. And there have been many people I have known personally that haven't given their life to Christ until their deathbed. And our hope is that it would be before then, 
But just know that that could be the moment for the person you're praying for. So don't give up. Don't think, oh, it's been 30 years. What's the point? Sometimes it takes people on their deathbed and all their idols are stripped away. Their job, their success, their relationships, their sexuality, all of it is it's gone laying on that deathbed. And sometimes it takes that for people's eyes to be opened and to see the truth. And so there's always hope. And I just want to end today giving you hope. And I, we can go ahead and stand, but I'm gonna end with reading off a list. I text a bunch of people this week. I called some of you. I talked to some of you and I said, I want to know what was the moment that made you realize, oh, I should give Christianity a try. Not necessarily the moment where you said the sinner's prayer, but if you were here a few weeks ago when, when Pastor David spoke and he talked about a pebble in the shoe. So I text a bunch of people here from this church and said, what was your pebble in the shoe moment? What was the thing that made you be like, huh, I should look into Christianity. Maybe there's something there. And so I wanna read to you just a list. And these are not hypothetical things. These are things that were really the moment for those of you sitting out in this room and those of you watching online. And I want to read this list because to me it's encouraging because you don't know what the thing is gonna be that God uses to make someone go, interesting. Hmm, maybe there's something there. So I'm just gonna read off a bunch of their responses. Seeing a group of young guys be genuine in their faith. A song, someone played a song for someone and the lyrics of it put a pebble in their shoe and messed with them. A baptism, witnessing a baptism. That's a fun party to bring a friend to. Hey, come see this weird thing we do by dunking people underwater. But you know what? Pebble in the shoe, that was a moment for them. They were like, hmm. Someone was invited to a hangout. Parties that were fun, but not sinful or illegal. They were baffled, they were having fun without getting high. You know, doing a line of coke, woo! It was just like, there's, there's no drugs, and this is fun, and you people have fun, this is crazy. Getting hugged by someone and being told they were glad I was there. A wedding. Seeing Christian family members, sets of Christian family members who had been estranged for years reconcile and forgive each other. I thought, there must be something to that, that they could forgive each other. Someone said, I was made a family member by friends. That's what we're talking about today. Teenagers who were older and cooler than me befriending me. I followed a cute guy or girl. You're welcome. Just kidding, not me, did not follow me here. That was a lot of the answers. I followed a cute guy. Seeing people who cared about the community in a tangible way. Someone being there for me during crisis in a big way. Having young people my age who are on fire for God and made life seem fun. The relentless pursuit of a friend just would not give up asking and inviting them to church. Seeing the fruit in my Christian brother's life versus the death in my own. Being invited to church by our neighbors. Intercession prayer that was happening for me by my friends and their whole small group. Um, I would not come to church, but I said yes to attending a Northwest production. Said yes to a show. And what they saw in that show said, okay, maybe I will check out Christianity. And many people who had parents who modeled real Christianity for them. I want to encourage you today as we close this series that, series that God will come through in unexpected ways. If we are faithful to pray and to be hospitality for those people. In all these cases, it took a relationship with someone. 
no one said I had a dream and, and Christ revealed himself to me. That has happened in history. I've, I've read stories of it. But in every account that I know here personally, it was relationship. And so I just want to pray for us as we close this series. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enable us to be vessels, vessels who bring the gospel home to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, that you would stir up in us a call to hospitality, biblical hospitality, that we wouldn't worry about having our house perfect or the moment right or putting all this pressure, but we'll simply say, hey, you're invited to come in. You can run, come run errands with me and let's talk about what's going on in your life. God, stir up in us a love for people that we wouldn't let our fear or our personalities or our, our shortcomings or comparison or busyness stop us from being the radical, unusual love of Christ. The kind of love that makes people question, what is wrong with that person? Why would they open up their life? Why would they give me their lunch money? Why would they pack me an extra lunch just to give away? God, stir us up, stir us up to win our community, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our classmates. Stir us up, Holy Spirit, that we would leave here and be every week say, God, how are you gonna use the stuff I have? How are you gonna use my family? How are you gonna use my home? How are you gonna use my car as a way to show, to offer it up to you, to offer it to other people, to show radical hospitality, to show those people that they matter that they're important. Thank you, God. And we just pray that you would save our unsaved family members, our unsaved coworkers, our unsaved neighbors. Bring them in, God. Bring them home. We pray that whatever it takes for their eyes to see, that that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen. 